morning again. Our series for this Advent season is The Road to Christmas, and basically we are talking about the journey that brought each of the figures in the Christmas story to be a part of it. Because in the first Christmas, there was only a small group of people who actually knew anything about it, who were actually changed by anything that happened. And I think that what we find as we look around us today is that even though Christmas is a worldwide enterprise that drives our financial markets, it's also something that really only happens to a small group of people. There's really only a small group of people who are really changed by it. And what we're finding is that every person who was a part of the original Christmas was there because of a choice they made, because they chose to respond to a call that they received from God. And that hasn't really changed. For us today, if we want to be among those who are actually changed by Christmas, who actually participate in what God is doing through this moment, this act, we have to choose to respond to God. And so we are looking at their journeys and learning from them. And today, we are going to be talking about the Magi, which is actually the story that made me want to do this series in the first place. Usually when I pick a series, it's, you know, like for Christmas, I'll think through the things that I want to talk about, and I'll pick, there, one maybe will stand out, like, okay, how do I make a series out of that? And I wanted to talk about the Magi. Originally, I was going to talk about the kings of Christmas, but there aren't actually enough, and the Magi aren't technically kings. So, we talked about the road to Christmas, but the reason why I'm so excited to talk about the Magi is because there are ways in which I think the Magi are the most impressive uh, example of faithfulness in the Christmas scene. I think they stand out. Uh, They are unique among the people in these stories in several ways that makes it shocking and humbling that they were there at all. And so I I hope that we'll be able to learn a lot from their example and the the challenge that they present to all of us as believers. So we'll start by reading the story of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2, and then we'll unpack it and see what we can learn from them. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together the the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious 
And he gave the order to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The story of the Magi is surprising. It's, if you're in the original culture in which it was written, it's downright shocking. And that is all tied up in the identity of the Magi, which we're not as familiar with. It's, it's distorted through time and the way we tell the story. We might think we're familiar with who the Magi are, but that word doesn't really mean much to us. Every other place it appears in the New Testament, it's translated as magician because it came to be a term that was used for... That's why magician starts with M-A-G-I because it's the root word for magician, a practitioner of magic. However, the reason it's used to refer to a practitioner of magic is because the Greek word is rooted in the specific group of magicians, uh, kind of, who were known to the Greeks through their relations with the Persians. There's a specific group of people called the Magi who were part of the Persian Empire, and that was, that was actually the Persian name for them. And then in Greek, it came to mean all magicians. But the way they talk about the Magi in this story tells us that they were actually part of that original group. And that group uh, were powerful Gentile astrologers. Not astronomers, astrologers. Astronomers are the scientists. Astrologers are the ones trying to tell the future. This is who the Magi were. They were powerful Gentile astrologers. Now, I want to unpack this for us so that we can understand, we can get as close as we can to, what, to understanding what it feel, would feel like if you're a, a Jew or a Christian in the early days reading and, and a Magi shows up in the story. Okay? So first of all, you have to understand that they served foreign kings. And probably, if they were from Persia, then they served the Persian king. Now, at this time, the Persians were the enemy of enemies for anyone in the Roman Empire. For a very, very long time, long before the split between the Western world and the Muslim world, long before Christianity even, there was a a gulf between East, meaning the Persian Empire, and West, meaning the Mediterranean, the Roman Empire. And it went back through Alexander the Great and through Xerxes and, and this huge gulf where they were just constant enemies. Whoever was in charge on one side was fighting whoever was in charge on the other side. They were just two very different cultures that had come to a clash point and were just always enemies. And so when you think of the Persians, actually in the book of Revelation, John uses imagery of Persian cavalry to create images of demons because those were the boogeymen who came over the border from Persia. So you have to understand, this is like at the height of the Cold War, these are the Russians. Like these are the guys that work in the Kremlin at the height of the Cold War. They're from the enemy empire. They serve the enemy king. Okay? Second of all, they serve foreign gods. Most likely the Zoroastrian god. If they are from Persia, if they are the original Magi, the original Magi were Zoroastrians who serve one god. And actually, they still exist today. Once I've given you enough time to write down Zoroastrian, I'll show you a picture. Um, and if you watch The Chosen... The guy who plays Nicodemus is a Zoroastrian, that that actor. It is a religion that exists today. 
And here is a picture of some Zoroastrian priests serving the sacred fire. Um, that's not COVID. That's just wh- what they wear. They wear uh, face masks to protect the flame, the sacred flame from their breath and, and everything. Um, and they, this was the main religion of Persia um, up until the, uh, the growth of Islam. And so they served a foreign god with a foreign set of ideals allied with a foreign empire, just completely different, uh, completely opposed to everything Jewish and everything Roman. And their job was to predict and influence the future. Their job was to figure out what was... They, they were the spy masters of the ancient time. Like They were supposed to figure out what's going on, except that they believed they could figure out what was going to happen, not just what is happening. So they were supposed to figure out what's going on in world events so that the king could be ahead, could be prepared, right? So when you think of fortune tellers, you might imagine someone like this. More likely, if you want to feel what they felt back then, talking about Magi, you might think of someone like this. This is Rajneesh, who um, came over to Oregon from India and started a, um, a compound near the Dalles. And there was a whole bunch of controversy and a lot of di- people had a lot of difficulty with just this uh, foreign group coming in and making... And so he was a, a leader of a religion they didn't understand that was very foreign to them and he had come into their space, and, right? But to make it closer, we'd say this is a religious leader in a country that is considered the enemy that, is, that ha- you know, constantly wants to make war on us. I think a closer example might be someone like the Ayatollah. In, this, is the, this was the first supreme leader uh, in Iran when the, um, Iran when the Iranian Revolution happened. And that feeling that you might get when you see a leader, a religious leader of a, a nation that is a sworn enemy, that kind of feeling, that's the kind of feeling they would have had about Magi. That's who Magi were. I want us to understand that because that's what makes it so shocking that the Magi were part of Christmas. One of these groups is not like the others in several ways. And this is the first one, when you understand who the Magi are. So now that we understand who they are, let's look at their journey, what brought them to the Christmas story. So we actually get a lot in those first two verses. It says... um, After Jesus was born during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and said, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So, here's what happened. The Magi, they watch the stars. They're astrologers. So that's how they find out what's going to happen. They believe that God is in control of the stars, and when big things happen, he's going to show us in the stars. So they're watching, and they see some kind of star event happened in the sky. Now, there have been speculations. There's like 80 different theories about what exactly they saw. It was a star. Why did a star make them think of a king in Judea? There's a few different, actually some pretty convincing theories of like if it, if it had been these two planets coming together to form a star and it had been in the middle of this constellation or something like that, it would have, could have led them to think that this was happening. Whatever it was, there was some kind of star that indicated a new king in Judea. Now, this is one thing we get wrong. Even in the song, we, we imagine the Magi following a star across the deserts. 
They didn't follow a star across the deserts. They don't follow the star until later. At this stage, they get a sign that there's a king to be born to the Jews. So where do you go? You go to the capital of the Jews where the king lives because he's probably got a new baby. But why are they going? This is what's interesting. Remember, for these guys, because they, they would see us, they would see the Jews the same way the Jews saw them. Remember, they're on the other side of the divide. They're the enemy culture. The enemy, like, it's not good news to the Persians that God is doing something big through a Jewish king. That's not good news to them. That would be like us finding out that God's doing something big through the, uh, you know, a ruler in Beijing or, or in Iran or some country where we, where we consider them a, an opponent. And I mean, like, he's doing something on the other side. That's, that's not good news to them. And yet, when they get this news, they decide to go there. Now, the motive could be, right, they're like spy masters. Maybe they're going to get intelligence to find out what's going on. You know, maybe they want to know, because they're supposed to inform their king. Except that's not why they go. They say that they have gone to worship the king. Which is rather surprising. Especially as we understand what that worship looks like. So what happens is they, they just go straight to Jerusalem. They don't follow a star. They just travel to Jerusalem, and they talk to the king. Herod says, I don't know. So he asks his guys, and his guys say, well, probably Bethlehem. So then as they're, after they've heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. This is when they see the star again. And when they see it, they were overjoyed. This is when they follow the star. They follow the star from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. But notice how they react when they see it. They are overjoyed. They are coming to worship the king, and they're not dragging their feet. They're not saying, well, I guess if this is who God is working through, then I guess we'll go. They are overjoyed to see the star and to be led by God to this person that he's going to do something big through. And when they get there, they do something very significant. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, a lot has been inferred from those gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The most common one is that there were three wise men, because there's three gifts. There might have been. There might as well be. Let's say there were three. But the other, we've read a lot into what each of those might mean and what the Magi might have understood about the calling of the Messiah and those kind of things. The point that they're really making is this. Those are gifts of uh, ways of paying homage to a new king. And that's a concept that we don't use anymore. It's very important to understand in the ancient world, and until actually not that long ago, society was based on hierarchy. Power was based on hierarchy. It was important to know who was below you and who was above you. And the majority of political events, political gatherings involved rulers getting together and bowing to each other in, uh, to make sure everybody knew who was in charge. So if you meet a king who's over you, you pay homage to him. But he does not pay homage to you because you've got to establish the pecking order. It's a way of showing who is in charge. And those gifts and that worshiping, that is a way of paying homage to Jesus. So when they found him, they submitted to him as king. These foreign dignitaries 
found the baby, and didn't just say, oh, okay, there he is. Yeah, stars were right. Let's go tell the king. They actually worshiped him. They bowed down to him, and they gave him expensive gifts as a sign that this king rules over us. This king outranks us. They're visibly, publicly submitting to this king. And then they went home. We never hear from them again. That's the story of the Magi. And it's pretty incredible when you think about it. And it's made even more incredible by the comparison that you get as you read the story, because Matthew does something fascinating. He doesn't just tell us about the Magi. He tells us about the Magi, and he interweaves their story with the story of Herod. So that you can't help but compare how the Magi respond to Jesus with how Herod responds to Jesus. And they're very different. And not in the ways they should be when you're comparing foreign astrologers with the sitting king of the Jews. So what I want to do now is I want to look over the virtues of these Magi. Because I think there's some, some things about the Magi that set them apart actually from everybody else in the Christmas story that make them truly remarkable, and not just their background, but the amount of faith that they show and what they actually respond to. Because I want to start by, here's one other thing that sets them apart. Every other person in the Christmas story was individually, personally called by an angel. Zechariah had an angel show up with him in the temple and talk to him. Mary had an angel show up and talk to her in her house. Joseph had a vision, had a dream of an angel talking to him. On Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the shepherds who had angels show up and dazzle them with lights and put on a song and dance show and make it very, very obvious to them what God wanted them to do. What did the Magi get? Stars. No angel showed up and smacked them on the face and said, hey, here's what we need you to do. It was stars. Stars do not smack you in the face. They don't get your attention. They're also visible to everyone in the same hemisphere as you. So there could have been thousands of people who followed that star to Jesus. There could have been millions of people within traveling range of the birth of Jesus and within sight of those stars. Why were the Magi there? The Magi were there because they were watching for signs of what God was doing in the world. They were there because they were looking. The stars were not hidden. There was no secret revelation. It was visible to everyone. And there were a lot more people than just the Magi who could have figured out what it meant, than just the ones who came. If nothing else... I think the story would be phrased differently if every Magi in Persia had come. It wouldn't have been ambiguous. It would have been like, yeah, there were crowds. It was like the whole empire of Persia came. But only some of them came. And they were the ones, first of all, who saw it. Which is amazing because they weren't followers of the God of Israel. They weren't even members of the right religion, the revealed religion. They weren't members of the people of God. 
And yet they wanted to know what God was doing. They had his name wrong, they had his character wrong, they had his history wrong, but whoever God is, they wanted to know what he was doing and they were watching for it. And God's character is out there to see. Scripture tells us that. In Romans, Paul says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Psalm 19 tells us, that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. The Magi were actually looking for what God was doing. And they saw it. And then they get to Jerusalem, and they say, hey, Herod, where's this king that we can tell has been born because it was in the stars. And Herod says, what? What, what star? You know, which must have shocked them, right? This guy is the king of the Jews. First of all, they expected it probably to be his son because they emphasized that this child is born to be king of the Jews. Herod wasn't born to be king of the Jews. Herod was born something else, and he took the throne. But this child is born to be king of the Jews probably was his son. If it's not, you would expect the guy who is the king of the Jews, who is the political leader of God's people, to know about it. He should at least know as much as the foreign astrologers do. But Herod was oblivious. Probably because he wasn't looking. He liked the current king of the Jews. He didn't want a new one born. He wanted to stay on the throne, so he wasn't looking for God to do anything else. He liked what God was doing right now because it benefited himself. The first amazing thing that the Magi do is they are watching for what God is doing. But not only do they watch, because they probably were not the only ones who saw, they definitely weren't the only ones who saw the star, they probably weren't the only ones who deciphered what it meant, but they were the only ones who did something about it. These Magi acted when they discerned God's will. They realized God God is declaring that there's going to be a king born... In, to the Jews, and he's going to matter somehow. So important that he's in the stars. This king is going to matter. And remember, that was bad news for Persians. And, I mean, that would be the only real way to take it at the time. And yet, their reaction to knowing that this king is going to be born over there and it's important to God is, well, let's go. Let's go there and see this king and recognize him as important to God's plan. Let's participate in what God is doing. It's not what we expected. It's probably not what we wanted. But whatever God is doing, we want to be a part of it. So they go. And they act on, they act on God's will. But when they get there, how does Herod respond? Herod was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him, which probably means when Herod's not happy, nobody's happy. So as Herod gets upset, all Israel's like, all Jerusalem's like, oh man, what's Herod going to do? Because Herod is bothered. Now that tells us something about Herod. It tells us something about how Herod reacts when he sees God moving forward with his own plan. Because Herod could have reacted very differently when the Magi showed up. If Herod knew his scripture... 
then he would have reacted differently. Or maybe he did. Let's give him credit. He may have known his scripture and known exactly what it meant, and that's why he was troubled. Because if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you should know what it means for Gentiles to show up looking for a king, looking to worship someone. Isaiah talks about how nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. He's talking about when God, is, when God acts in his people that the Gentile kings are going to come to, to, to acknowledge it. In the Psalms, it says, May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the king of, kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. Now, these aren't, I don't know if these are prophecies about the Magi. They are the reason why we call them three kings. Because throughout Christian history, people have assumed that these were prophecies and these call them kings, so they must have been kings. But what they certainly mean is that someone familiar with the prophecies of the Old Testament would know that when God starts to act, the Gentiles are going to show up and recognize it. And Herod, he's troubled. Because Herod felt threatened. We can tell this when we look at how he reacts at the end of the story, that the reason why he's troubled is because he feels threatened. Because, what, because he didn't have a son born at that time. So it wasn't his kid that was born king of the Jews. So God's plan is different from Herod's. And Herod's not happy about that. Now notice, it's different from the Magi's too. The Magi's would much rather have had a star rise indicating that there was a, king, a child born king of the Persians who was going to be a big deal to God. So it's not according to either one of their plans, but the Magi's show up in worship and Herod feels threatened. And finally, and most importantly, the Magi, when they show up, they submitted to God's authority over them. They did this because they considered God to be in authority over them, and they were going to follow him whatever he's doing, and they were going to be a part of whatever he's doing. And so if God has put this child in charge, then we are going to worship that child and recognize that child as in charge. Because following God's plan is part of following God. Following God's Messiah is part of following God. You can't split the two. So we submit to God. We submit to God's king. Herod, on the other hand, has a very different reaction. When the, when the Magi trick Herod, and they, they don't go back and report where the baby is. He was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in, accord, in accordance with the time you learned from the Magi. So Herod goes on a child-killing spree, doing everything he can to stop this thing that has been foretold in the stars. He's not looking for what God's doing. He doesn't like what God's doing, and he does everything he can to stop what God's doing because Herod tried to stay in control. He wanted to stay king. He wanted to make sure that things kept going according to his plan. You see, as you look at the Magi and Herod, they come from completely different backgrounds and have completely opposite reactions. Herod converted to Judaism... He was half Jewish, and he converted to Judaism, and he made a big deal about his obedience to the law, and he even spent a fortune 
renovating the temple so extensively that they considered it a new temple, and they called it Herod's Temple because it was completely different from how it had been before because he spent so much renovating it just to convince people that he was a legitimate king of the Jews and that he loved God and wanted to follow him. But when following God endangered his plans and his authority the way he wanted it, he became a murdering tyrant. While the Magi traveled to this foreign empire and worshipped this foreign king, And the, the most fascinating thing to me about the Magi is we never find out how far their insight goes. We don't know whether they were still Zoroastrians when they left. Maybe they concluded that, oh, if, if, if the Jews say there's one God, a God of Israel, and, and the God of the heavens has chosen a Jewish king, then he must be, it must be the same God. But then again, in the Bible, it tells us that the Jewish God chose Persian kings to do things for special missions. They may never have gotten it straightened out. They may never have straightened out all the theology. But even in the midst of their theological error, they got it right in obeying God in this moment. And that is thoroughly humbling. It should always humble us to know that there are people who are more loyal to an error than we are to the truth. Right? I'm, I'm continually humbled by the fact that in Mormonism, it's just expected that everybody goes on a two-year mission trip. What would happen if we started saying that around here? Everybody's got to set aside two years for a mission trip. If we just told our youth group, all of you, put, put aside two years, you got two gap years before college to go on a mission trip. What would happen if we did that in non-Mormon churches? There would be a riot, Right? Now, I'm not saying that's what it's supposed to look like. In fact, in the new year, we're going to start talking about how all of you have been called to lifetime missions in your own neighborhoods. But the point is, how many of you would uh, be tempted to give, like if I were to start telling you that we weren't supposed to celebrate any holidays or your birthdays, give up all of that? It's, it's surprising. It should be humbling to us when we find that there are people without the benefit of the truth that are often more loyal to what they see God doing in the world. And in this case, the wise men were actually more right about what God was doing in the world than Herod was. So I see the wise men as an amazing and humbling example for us to be called to follow. Because for each of us, we and actually for us, our calling may be more similar to the Magi than to anybody else. Because if we want to serve God, the first thing you have to learn The first thing we have to remember is that to serve God, we have to actively watch for what he is doing. Because remember, in the entire planet, there were four occasions where an angel told somebody about Christmas. Right? Zechariah got told, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. Everybody else got stars. And only three people, however many magi there were, saw them. That means... If you're sitting around waiting for an angel to show up, smack you in the face, and tell you the amazing thing God is doing in your life that he wants you to be a part of, you're going to be waiting a long time. Most people don't get angels. Most people get stars. And you have to watch for the stars. You have to care about being a part of what God is doing. So if you want to serve God, then you have to be on the lookout. You have to 
Be passionate about seeing what is God doing in your neighborhood that you can be a part of? What is God doing in your family, in your place of work? What do you see happening? What opportunities are there? What needs are there? What is God doing that you can be a part of? Because it's probably not going to be an angel. It's going to be a star. And you have to watch the stars. You have to spend time looking at them. You got to stay up late for the ones that come up later in the night. You got to get up early to see the last ones as they go down. You got to learn the constellations. You got to invest in it. But it's not enough to watch for what God is doing. Because how many of you have had that moment where you felt the Spirit of God? It was a bit of that angel smacking you on the face kind of thing where the Spirit said, hey, go talk to that person. Go pray for that person. Go do this thing. And you didn't. He said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not good at that. And you shied away from it. It's not enough just to see what God is doing. Because again, there were probably other people who saw the star and figured out what it meant. But we don't know about them because they didn't go. Because to serve God, we have to be willing to act on what God reveals to us. Following Jesus is not about knowing the right things as if just getting your doctrine right or getting your facts right was enough. There's, there's no theology quiz to get into the pearly gates. The point is that we're supposed to follow Jesus. We're supposed to act on what he's doing. And so as you see what God is doing, you've got to be ready to jump on, to do your part, to participate. Even if it's not going in directions that are convenient to you. Frequently, God moves in directions we'd rather he didn't, that take us right, into our, right out of our comfort zones, right to the edges of what we, what we feel like we can do. But ultimately, the last thing we have to do as we follow the example of the Magi that makes the rest of this work is to serve God, we have to acknowledge that he is king over our lives. That's the key of it. Because if you don't really think about God being your king then you don't really feel the urgency of knowing what he's doing. Because I have my own little kingdom, and God has his significantly bigger kingdom, but it's over there. And maybe I'll look over occasionally to see what's going on in his world, but I'm mainly focused on mine. But if God is king of me, then my, what he's given me, I have to be following his lead. I answer to him. I'm supposed to be a part of what he's doing. So I'm watching what God is doing. It's the difference between playing a solo instrument and being in an orchestra. In an orchestra, you got to watch that person. I was doing a music lesson with the preschoolers, and we were doing uh, bells, or uh, uh, we were doing, yeah, jingle bells. And the most important thing for them to learn was you all have to look at me to stay in time, right? <laughs> if you're looking at each other or just at your bells, we're going to get way off. And that's what we have to do if God is our king. We all have to be watching him. Not only watching him, but recognizing him as our king means then we're actually doing what he's doing. We're doing, we're a part of what he's doing. And so if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to be transformed by Christmas and to be part of the transformation that happens through Christmas, we have to be like the Magi. We have to submit to God as our king. We have to watch for what he is doing. And when we see what he is doing, we have to act. We have to be a part of it. Because God is acting in the world, whether we want him to or not, whether we notice it or not. The question is not, is God going to act? The question is, are you going to get to play the part that God has set aside for you in it? 
the train is moving. The question is, are you going to get on it? And it is an amazing thing. It is the best, literally the best thing about being human to be a part of God's plan. It is what he made you for. And so we all have to be willing to submit to our king. And now that I've mixed metaphors, to jump on the train and to be a part of the amazing thing he's doing in the world. Amen? I'm going to ask the praise team to come up and I'm going to ask you to open your heart to what God is putting on you right now. Very likely it's something that I don't know anything about or I couldn't predict in you, something that's that some relationship or some opportunity that you've had. Maybe now you're recognizing, oh yeah, that God has been showing me this thing that he's doing that I need to jump in on. We believe that every time the gospel is preached, there's an opportunity to respond. And so I'd encourage you to, to look for that thing that God's calling you toward and to commit to being a part of his kingdom. But there are also some things that are always in front of us, that are always offered to us. If you have not given your life to Jesus, if you have not committed to him as your king, today is the best day to do that. And that is what God is calling you to do. If you haven't yet, and you're not sure, that I can tell you, God is calling you to follow him. And so we would encourage you to come forward during the last song, to talk to one of our ministers after the service, or if you're watching online, get, into, get a hold of the church office or, or a Christian that you know and trust. Give your life to Jesus today. Maybe you're looking to, uh, you've given your life to Jesus, but you need to be part of a family that is working to understand what God is doing and to learn how to better follow him. That's who we are as a church. We'd love for you to join our small groups. We'd love for you to join our um, congregation. And there you can fill out the grow card or the connect card. Those both have opportunities for you to either place your membership with the church or to join one of our groups. And finally, if you're looking for ways to give back, looking for ways to act on God's behalf, our church has service teams. We have different opportunities to serve in the church and to serve our community through the church. And you can grab one of those cards and fill that out. I encourage you to consider what step God is putting on your life now as we stand and sing our final song. Please join us.